Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Greetings. Welcome to the online gathering for Samanach Baptist Church for Sunday, June 20th, 2021. My name is David Johnson, and I'm blessed to serve as pastor here. Here at Samanach Baptist, we've just come off an amazing week for our first ever summer jam. We averaged 80 kiddos for our four days, and including volunteers, that meant we had well over 100 people each day um, working together to introduce our community to the love of Jesus. So would really like to thank the team from First Baptist Church of Kaufman, Texas, who came uh, to really partner with us to engage in this mission endeavor. And I also want to thank many of you from our SBC family uh, who worked during the day and who also worked to help get things ready. It really was um, an amazing week. Many, many good stories to tell about the presence and love of Jesus using his followers uh, to bless our community. So thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who was involved. It was a deed, indeed a wonderful week. This online gathering is called to worship by a reading from Psalm 107. I'd like to read to you verses 1 to 3 and then verses 23 to 32. So starting in Psalm 107, verses 1 to 3 and then 13 to 32. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And then verse 13, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and gloom and broke their bonds asunder. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were sick through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities endured affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then... They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. And let them offer thanksgiving sacrifices and tell of his deeds with songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the mighty waters, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. 
They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad, because they had quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. This is God's word. Let us pray together. Almighty God, with the psalmist, we give thanks to you for you are good, for your steadfast love endures forever. We cry with the psalmist. We cry to the Lord in our trouble and you save us from our distress. With the psalmist, we confess to you that sometimes we are terrified. Sometimes we have hearts that melt like wax. But you are a God who comes to us in our distress and who desires that we ask you for help. So with whatever frightening situation we encounter, whatever is distressing our souls, we ask you to send forth your word that we might be healed. We pray through the Son and by the Spirit and all of us said together, Amen. Our reading from the Gospels this morning comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind him, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of King Jesus. The text that I'd like us to pay attention to together today is found in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, probably one of the most well-known Old Testament stories during this summer, we're going to be looking at different scenes from the books in our Bibles that we know as First and Second Samuel. And we're going to see that David is now going to become the pivotal character in this narrative. This well-known story that we probably know as David and Goliath. And yes, that is the protagonist and the antagonist in this story. But I want us to also notice some of the other characters in the story that might give us a clue, given the way the narrator describes the scenes and the characters about what God has to say for us in our day from this well-known story. Before we look together at Saul, our 1 Samuel 17, 
Let's pray together, please, one more time. Lord Jesus, we confess that sometimes with the disciples, we feel like we've been forgotten. We feel like you're asleep in the stern on the cushion while the storms of this world batter us and frighten us and rob us of our faith. So we ask, Lord Jesus, through the word of God, that you would come to us and that you would say to us, peace, that you would say to us, be still, and would your word be powerful to create that peace and to create that stillness. The word of God is powerful to do such things because the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God remains forever. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer, and all of us said together, amen. I am not a hero. I need a hero. That's the title of my message this morning, and that kind of captures what I think the narrator wants us to absorb from this well-known story, that we are not the anointed king of God's people. Jesus is the anointed king of God's people. We in this story do not identify with David. We in this story identify with the frightened lambs, the frightened soldiers, the frightened uh, soldiers of Israel who are helpless to be able to save themselves. We are in what is known as commencement season. We are in what is known as graduation season. And oftentimes, aside from the actual celebration of graduation, be it from eighth grade, be it from high school, be it from college, be it from graduate school, be it from residency, we hear these speeches that frankly are kind of filled with cliches. Has there been a commencement speech that didn't somehow reference that to commence actually means to begin, not to conclude. And then the speaker begins to talk about how a new story, a new chapter is beginning in the graduate's life. One of the most well-known poems that is often shared, and I even recently heard shared at an eighth grade graduation, is Invictus by William Ernest Henley. It is a powerful message, but I think sometimes for us Christians, we need to understand that messages like these need a little bit more Jesus. These are the words of Invictus by William Ernest Henley. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the tears finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. As I heard these words at an eighth grade graduation, something in me caused me to glance around the gymnasium. And I noticed a couple of different eighth graders that made me wonder, how would they receive words like, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul? 
One of the first boys that I saw was a frightened boy whose mom had just married her boyfriend. He's a boy who lacks confidence. He's a boy who lacks affirmation in his life. What does he hear with, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul? Situations around him have changed that are through no fault and no choice of his own. And the last thing that he probably feels is that he's the master of his fate, that he's the captain of his soul. As I continue to glance around the gym where I saw these words, heard these words proclaimed, I saw a broken daughter whose father had died unexpectedly just a few weeks before. She's terrified. And I wonder what does she hear with the words, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. And I think about this frightened boy and this frightened girl and the situation in which they find themselves. And it kind of seemed as almost though this poem, which seems to really fit at a graduation, was probably for them bad news. What these eighth graders need to hear most is not you are the hero. What they need to hear is, you don't have to be the hero. What they need to hear rather is, but Jesus is a hero you can trust. The Israelites in 1 Samuel 17 are facing the taunting threats of the Philistines. They are frightened. They lack affirmation. They lack confidence. They were being broken down. And what they need is not the courage to be the hero themselves. What they need is their newly anointed king, David, who in 1 Samuel 15 and 1 Samuel 16 last week is anointed as their new shepherd king, but yet Israel and Judah don't know. Saul does not know. Only Samuel and David know. And David knows not only because the memory of his anointing, but he knows because the wind of Yahweh has been now empowering him, even in the menial tasks of raising sheep and protecting them, the wind of Yahweh has made him powerful. So these frightened Israelites don't need to buck up and listen to Invictus. These frightened Israelites need to give up trying to be the hero. They need a new hero to trust. And that's the setting in which we find this very, very well-known story that perhaps, especially if you've been raised in church, you are almost over-familiar with this story. So what I'd like to do, especially coming off of a week of summer jam, is I'd like to read to you from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Sally Lloyd-Jones illustrations by Jago. And she calls this story, The Young Hero and the horrible giant. God's people had some scary enemies, but the Philistines were the scariest of them all. And now the Philistines had come to fight them. The Philistines had a secret weapon called Goliath. Goliath was a terrifying soldier and worst of all, a giant. A giant so strong, 
a giant so tall and so scary that no one had been ever able to fight him and live to tell the tale. So there they were, the Philistines, standing on top of one hill and God's people standing on top of the other. Every day, again and again, Goliath came out and shouted, send your best soldier to fight me. If he wins, we will be your slaves. But if I win, you will be our slaves. No one spoke and no one moved. Chickens, Goliath bellowed. Your God can't save you. I'll rip your heads off and have you on toast. His beady, greedy eyes glowered at them hungrily from under his horrible helmet, as if any minute he really might just gobble them all up. And he laughed his terrible laugh. Ha, 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 it boomed, echoing horribly around and around the dry, dry valley. Well, Goliath might just as well have been green and a slimy monster with three heads because God's people were frozen with fear. Their eyes glazed over and they turned deathly pale. They knew if someone didn't do something quick, if someone didn't save them, but God would do something. He would send someone to save them. Now, you remember David. David was the youngest son of Jesse. Well, his brothers were soldiers in the army one day. When David brought his brothers their lunches, he saw Goliath and he saw how frightened everyone was. Don't be afraid, David said. I'll fight him for you. You're only a little shepherd boy, the king said, and Goliath is a great soldier. How will you fight him? God will help me, David said. So the king gave David his royal armor to wear, but it was too heavy and it was too big and David couldn't even walk. I won't need this, David said. Instead, David picked out five smooth stones from the stream. One, two, three, four, five. He took his slingshot and he walked towards Goliath step by step by step. Goliath walked towards David, thud, thud, thud. You? Goliath peered down at the small boy. I'm little, David shouted up to him, but God is big. Goliath laughed an even terribler laugh than usual. Ha, 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 it went. With just one swing of his giant sword, Goliath could finish the boy off but David kept going. It isn't how strong you are or how many swords and spears you have that will save you. It is God who saves you. This is God's battle and God always wins his battles. David put a stone in his sling, swung it around and let it go. The little stone flew, whiz, like a bullet through the air and struck Goliath, thud right between the eyes. Goliath stopped laughing. Goliath stumbled. Goliath staggered and crash, he fell dead. When the Philistines saw Goliath dead, they ran away. 
And when God's people saw them running away, they cheered. God had saved his people. David was God's hero. Many years later, God would send his people another young hero to fight for them and to save them. But this hero would fight the greatest battle the world has ever known. So that's a helpful summary of a long chapter of scripture that maybe shakes us loose from some of the preconceptions we have about this well-known story. So who are the characters in this well-known story? Let's first consider Goliath. Goliath is armed to the teeth. Goliath is fierce. Goliath is terrifying. Now, what's interesting is he is so big and so overwhelming, but what does he still need? He still needs the weapons that the Philistines prided themselves in. He has a bronze helmet. He has what, what my translation calls a coat of mail. Think of Monty Python, those medieval soldiers in Monty Python. They have kind of that, that metal like robe almost, like this chain material that protects them. And he's got a spear and he's got a javelin. So that's the first character. The second character, of course, is David. Look down at verse 23. The narrator sets up, David is innocent. David is young. David is an undesirable intrusion who has been, if you read chapter 17, sent by the Father. And yet, what does he do? He serves. He carries the lunch boxes for the soldiers. But I think what the narrator wants us to see is described in verse 23. And he talked with them. The champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. So he's coming and he's speaking these, these terrible words. And yet... The Israelites don't even hear what he is saying. He's actually talking to them about the Israelite God. And yet, what does the narrator say? And David, end of verse 23, heard him. There is something about David that allows him to hear what Goliath is saying. So we have Goliath, we have David, but I also think the narrator wants us to understand another group of characters. Not only is Goliath the protagonist in the story, but beloved Saul and the soldiers are also the, protag the, the antagonists in this story. Look at verse 5 in chapter 17. He, Goliath, had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now look down at verses 38 and 39. So David shows up. He brings the lunch boxes. He talks to his brothers. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But now look how after David decides to fight, notice what Saul says, 38. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he was not used to them. You see, Saul and the soldiers, Saul and David's brothers, are, are paralyzed by fear, and they are so 
captured by Goliath and his words that they cannot imagine any other world except the world that plays the games the Philistines play. The narrator describes Saul's armor given to David with almost the exact same terms that describe Goliath and his Philistine armor. So what we're seeing now is what we saw back all the way in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Because the Israelites wanted a king like the nations, now they have soldiers like the nations. They are fighting the enemies of God's people with the weapons of their enemies. They think violence is the only way to do battle. One more character is described in verse 28. And again, this is a character that doesn't get much airtime in this story. Look at verse 28. His eldest brother, David's eldest brother, Eliab, remember him? He's the first one that Jesse, he's the oldest. He's the tallest. He's the most handsome. He's the one who's going to get the biggest inheritance. He's the one that when looked upon with the world's eyes is probably the most likely king. When Eliab heard him talking to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, he said, why have you come down? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? You're just the shepherd. Go back home. Go do your chores. I know you're presumptuous in the evil of your heart, for you have come down just to see the battle. Now that takes us all the way back to chapters 15 and 16. Because in that story, what is God looking at? God's looking at the hearts of Jesse's sons. And there's something evil in Eliab's heart, in Shema's heart, in Aminadab's heart, and in the heart of the other four brothers. But there's something in David's heart that Yahweh chooses. But what's Eliab doing? He's projecting the evil of his own heart onto his brother. And it's this sibling rivalry relationship that is bringing the evil out of his heart. I know. You've just come down to see the battle. David said, what have I done now? It was only a question. He turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. So we have Goliath, we have David, we have Saul and the soldiers, we have Eliab now, this angry brother, this rejected brother who is rejecting, and he's the older brother who despises the younger brother because he looks at the younger brother through the eyes of the world. Beloved, I, I can't help but mention again this theme of older brother, younger brother goes all the way through. That oftentimes what's wrong with the world is older brothers don't relate well to their younger brothers. But the hope, just like in this story, is that we have been sent an older brother. Through our relationship to Jesus, our older brother, we now have been adopted by Jesus, Father. So that means Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, is this older brother who comes to be that faithful older brother that we need. So how, how shall we summarize? Look at verses 34 and 35. There's some truths here that we can see from the heart of David that we need to absorb into our own lives. 34, David said to Saul, if you read all of chapter 17, the most space is given to speeches that David gives. He gives a speech to Saul, 
and he gives a speech to Goliath. The first is to Saul, look at 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and I struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistines, Philistine shall be like one of them since he has defied the, uh, the armies of the living God. So David trusts that God saves slaves and rescues lambs. So he tells Saul a story. He says, the wind of Yahweh has helped me rescue lambs before rescuing them from lions and bears, which in scripture, lions and bears are images that, that, that are used to summarize evil, violent empires. If you read Daniel, if you read Revelation, there's these beasts with, with, with teeth. Well, David has been prepared through the menial task of shepherding to then defeat the champion of the enemies of the people of God. Because the wind of Yahweh has, has produced in David a trust that God saves and rescues lambs. This seems to be captured by a prophecy in Isaiah 40, starting in verse 9. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. What's he going to do? He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. David knows this God and he learned that God is like this through his own experience as a shepherd. And then now he comes into even a more frightening situation to rescue the lambs of God's people from the lion and bear represented by Goliath. So to summarize this story first, David trusts God saves and rescues lambs. Secondly, David triumphs against two forces. As I said earlier, the, the narrator gives the most space. Actually, not. There's just really small two verses about David striking down Goliath. Okay, great story. But yet, so much more is given to these speeches that David gives. He gives one to who? Saul and another to Goliath. That's, that's the narrator's way of saying there's two forces in this story that David triumphs against. We are used to the story being about David destroying cocky Goliath. But yet we also in this story see David defeating cowardly Saul. Saul has become like the Philistines and thinks the Philistine way is the only way. And now Israel is becoming like Philistia. And now David needs to come along and help us see that we don't need the swords of the Philistines, the armor of the Philistines for God to be faithful. Walter Brueggemann very astutely puts it this way. God's Messiah has words for both Goliath and Saul. There is a living God. 
There is a living God who is not intimidated or immobilized by swords and coats of mail and bombastic speech. Thus Yahweh is unlike the armies of Saul who are intimidated and immobilized. This liberated God is drawn to the marginal ones of tribe who wait, who wait to be snatched like a lamb from the mouth of the lion. Beloved, do you see this? That ultimately the one who needs the word of God in this well-known story is not only Goliath, but it's the leader of God's people who needs to be told you can rule God's people and protect God's people, but you don't have to use the ways of the world to get it done. So beloved, what is causing you to be intimidated? What is causing you to be immobilized? What is causing you to feel life is as black as the pit from coal to coal? What is tempting you to, to wince to cry aloud, to have your head bloodied, to be menaced by horror in this place of wrath and tears. What is making it difficult to stay on the straight path? What is perhaps making you feel like the frightened boy needing confidence and affirmation when he hears these glorious things in Invictus. Are you identifying with that boy? Or are you identifying with the young girl who's, whose dad died unexpectedly and, and hears these, these cliches at, at, at graduation speeches that just think, I cannot be the hero. I do not have the strength. Beloved, the good news of the gospel is this. I am not a hero. You are not a hero. But we need a hero. And God has provided for us Jesus, the son of David, who comes to deliver us from our enemies. Beloved, who does Jesus describe us as in this story? We are the lambs in need of rescue. And thanks be to God, David writes the psalm that Yahweh is our shepherd who comes to us not with swords, not even with slings and stones, not with spears, not with javelins, not with helmets, not with coats of armor, but he comes to anoint our head with oil and to prepare for us a table in the presence of our enemies. May we trust him to be our anointed king. Let us pray. Oh Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name. For you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the offspring of David. We praise you as the hero that the world needs, as the anointed king who comes to deliver us from our enemies, but not with the weapons our enemies use. 
Lord Jesus, you told your disciples, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. We come to you asking you to speak your healing word to us that we may trust in the way that you go about deliverance, in the way that you go about bringing justice, in the way that you go about protecting us. So we ask you to be our good shepherd and help us to find ways to reconcile with our enemies, not to destroy our enemies, that you as our good shepherd may create for us a table in the presence of our enemies. Lord Jesus, as the offspring of David, the true king who brings justice to God's people, we ask you to do great and mighty things through the mustard seed faith in this place, to do great and mighty things in the way that you go about doing those great and mighty things. God, whose word is trustworthy, we bring our prayers to you with confidence in the name of our Lord Jesus. And according to your mercy, we ask you to hear these prayers. You entrust the seed of your word to the soil of our lives. Would the word that has been spoken this day bear fruit in our lives? Generous God, you draw us into surprising stories. Use these stories to disrupt our complacency, our apathy, our laziness, and remove our fear that we may follow you into the joy of your kingdom. So in the name of the one who taught us not to lose heart, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all of us said together, Amen. I now invite you to receive this final benediction. Thank you so much for joining me in this time of online worship. May grace and peace be yours. And now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, make you complete in everything good so that you may do his will, working among us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all of us said together, amen.